I don't like when I ugly cry. <laughs> I told myself uh, at the wedding as I walked my daughter down the aisle and then performed the vows, I said I wasn't going to cry. Yeah. I wasn't going to fall apart. And God kept me. But this morning, that anointing left. I'm falling apart up in here in a good way. I love young people, man. So proud of y'all. I know many of us here, we think back to when we were your age. And one thing we probably never would have done is what you guys just did. To testify up here. To dance up here. Um, as you continue to walk with him, he will take you places and do things with you. Um, the abundant life is real. And um, I can't wait to see what's going to happen in the young lady's dance, reminding us of the spiritual war that we're in. Um, because the enemy doesn't want to see any of us, yet alone our young people, make a stand. And, and in spiritual warfare, he even attacked our student ministry director's family. Um, Isaiah didn't share any about that. But we understand that that's what happens when we're engaged in this kind of work of uh, snatching souls from the fire. Um, the enemy can get mad and he can try, but he can't stop what God is doing. And so I pray a blessing on all of you guys to keep going. This is, the, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. And... Uh, I'm grateful this morning to have many of my family members here from Baltimore, Maryland. Would y'all just wave at me here, all family from Baltimore here. Amen. Amen. Grateful for y'all. Grateful for y'all. Now, they crazy now, so if you want to go talk to them, just realize they crazy, uh, just like me, and we have a good time. We have a good time. Um, everyone in my family, thank God knows Jesus. We love him and uh, we live for him and we have a good time doing it. And so I'm so grateful that uh, they came for the wedding. They'll be traveling back today after church. Uh, Darina had family coming in from various states. Her sister Matina is still here from Arkansas. We have people from Virginia, um, Boston, I mean from all over the place. And uh, the bride and groom had friends come in from New York and California. So we had a wonderful time. And, uh, and so when Pastor Jerry got up and said he wanted to thank uh, or greet the newlywed couple this morning, I was like, I know Krista and Bo are not here this morning. I mean, I know you love God, but you don't have to be here this morning. But it was Ben and Rebecca. It was Ben and Rebecca. <laughs> Good to see y'all. Good to see y'all. Amen. Um, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to... Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to finish out um, our series on seasons today. And then next Sunday, we're going to step into the book of 2 Timothy. And we'll be there for about 21 weeks um, going through the book of 2 Timothy. So uh, we're going to have a good time. But today we'll close out our series on seasons because this has been... 
as we've all known, a precarious season. But one of the things we've tried to remind you of, and I've tried to remind myself of, is that no matter what season you find yourself in, God reigns, as we sang today. Um, he's with you in those seasons. And so um, when our sociology is all over the place in this world, our theology has to be strong to keep us. And so he's with you in the season of loss. He's with you in the season of gain. He's with you when you're up. He's with you when you're down. And so we thank him for his constant presence and faithfulness. Matthew chapter 12, I'll begin reading at verse 1. And it says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So with your prayers and with the help of the Holy Spirit, let me talk for a few minutes on the subject of sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. I have been a follower of Jesus for 37 years. I met the Lord as a teenager at the age of 15 in 1984 at a camp in the hills of Maryland put on by a former athlete, professional baseball player named Pat Kelly, who's now with the Lord. Pat Kelly was more than a baseball player. He was an evangelist. And he would have a camp, citywide camp, for kids all over the city of Baltimore to come into the hills, to get out of their urban context just for a moment and go away into the hills. And as I went there to meet girls, <laughs> I ended up meeting Jesus. And my life has never been the same. So I've been following Christ as a disciple of his for 37 years. And I've been preaching his word now for 34 years, yet I still ask God to show me who Jesus really is from the pages of scripture. Yeah, yeah, I've been reading and preaching for 34 years, knowing him for 37, been to Bible college, have a degree in biblical studies, have a master's in religious education, have a doctorate, but I still find myself making sure that when I come to scripture, that I don't act like I know everything there is to know about God. Matter of fact, I have to relearn some things uh, because some things I have been taught have not been right nor consistent with scripture. 
And so often the image that I have of Jesus, I'm asking God to uh, wash that and transform my mind by what the scriptures say Jesus is all about as opposed to what tradition and church teaches us about Jesus. So there are times I read the scriptures and I'm like, Jesus is blowing me away. I mean, you can't put him in a box. Uh, he is dependable yet unpredictable. He's amazing. And so when I read the scriptures, I'm falling deeper and deeper in love with him and in awe of him. Oh, it's not a rap by any stretch of the imagination. Every day I'm reading the scripture as if I've never read these things before. And he's jumping off the page. So I say, Holy Spirit, you came to glorify the son. So Holy Spirit, teach me who Jesus is. Because the religious syndicate wants to give us an American Jesus. The, the religious syndicate wants to give us a political Jesus, a Western Jesus. But I'm after the one true and living God, Jesus, the Son of God, the biblical Jesus. And in this text, he blew my mind. In these eight verses that I just read, we see that Jesus does at least three things. He led his disciples. He fed his disciples. And he pled his disciples' innocence. I know I said it too fast, so I'm going to say it one more time. Jesus feeds his disciples. He leads his disciples, and he pleads his disciples' innocence. Why? Because there were Pharisees there who were seeking to condemn the disciples of Jesus Christ. They were judging the people of God, but Jesus, who is also a great defense lawyer, stood up for them and he pled their case, stating that they were innocent even though they were being accused falsely, condemned by the self-righteous lot called the Pharisees. And so if Jesus would stand up and defend his guys then, don't you know he's standing up and he's defending you right now? He's defending you from those who want to slander you on the outside and condemn you on the outside. But he also stands when we condemn ourselves on the inside. Because again, he is our defense lawyer who has never lost a case. And so we are, those of us who know the Lord Jesus, we are not only innocent, but we are justified in the courts of heaven, never to come under condemnation ever again. Conviction, yes. Condemnation, no. And that's the good news. But there are many forces and, and professional, weaker brothers and sisters who make it their business to get in our business and try to condemn us because of our expression of not only liberty, but also where we are in our journey with the Lord. And so when that happens and we begin to want to slip under legalism and self uh, 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 righteousness and, and man-made traditions. The Lord says, no, I freed you so that you would not come under a yoke like that again. I lifted uh, the requirements of the law from off of you because I died for lawbreakers. You are free. So let's look at what happens in this text because I don't want to come under the condemnation of Pharisees but neither do I want to be a Pharisee who puts people under condemnation because I'm still being delivered from that too. 
<laughs> I can't get an amen on that part, but I'm still being delivered from being a Pharisee myself. Mm -hmm. Let's look at verse one at that time. Well, what was going on at that time? Well, John the Baptist, according to chapter 11, he had been arrested. Uh, also, according to chapter 11, Jesus makes a statement to the people who were listening to him because they were weary and tired from trying to keep the law and perform righteously for man. And he has to come along and to remind them in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, he said, look, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because I know right now you're burdened by religion. You're burdened by the fact that you fail and fall every day. And you keep trying this yoke that just won't fit you. You just can't keep the law. But I'm saying to you, I'll get into the yoke that they would put around animals, the harness. I'll get into the yoke with you and I'll do the bulk of the pulling in your walk with God. As you lean on me, depend on me, then your yoke will be easy and your burden will be light because I came to give you rest to your soul. Because a lot of times, as we're going to see in this passage today, we always talk about resting our bodies. And yes, we should rest our bodies. But have you ever tried to rest your body, but your soul wasn't rested? And you get up from that nap and you feel just as burdened as you did when you lay down for that 15 minute nap. And so Jesus is declaring that he is the rest for the people of God, that he is their Sabbath. Watch out now, watch out now. He's radical, watch out now. So at that time, after declaring that he was the rest, that he would give rest to the people, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. This is the first mention of the word Sabbath in Matthew's gospel. And from this point on, that word Sabbath is going to be problematic for Jesus and the disciples, if you will. Because Jesus would intentionally do things on the Sabbath in order to get under the skin of the Pharisees. And he was doing that for the purpose of getting them to see their hypocrisy and their self-righteousness and look to him to be their rest and not to their own performance-based acceptance in order to try to find rest and righteousness with God. So he would intentionally do things, heal people on the Sabbath. Well, what was the Sabbath? The Sabbath was the last day of the week. Remember in creation, in Genesis, God created everything in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And the resting was an example for us because God doesn't need to rest because technically, he never ever gets tired, he never grows weary, but he rested as an example for man made in his image uh, who do get tired. And so resting, resting of the body, Resting of your animals, even resting of your land as an agrarian people, because what you're saying is that you know where your help comes from. It also says, Lord, I need to be recharged with you and I need to spend some time being still and knowing that you are God. So the Sabbath or the Shabbat was on Saturday, according to our calendar, the last day of the week. So the Jewish people were to rest 
from work. The fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20. But when the Pharisees came along, they began to interpret what the Shabbat or the Sabbath was to, to mean and how it was to play out. And so the Sabbath was found in the Torah, but their interpretations of the Torah was found in a writing called the Talmud. And so they would talk more about the Talmud and what this rabbi said and what this teacher said about the Sabbath and what you could do and what you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And the Talmud began taking more authority than the Torah. And so it was about the rules that the Pharisees made that they used to condemn people who didn't keep their rules, but they were taking people away from the Torah and focusing on the commentary called the Talmud. It's like if you have a, a Bible that has notes in the bottom from a respected theologian or pastor and you have their study Bible. And a lot of times what people will do is they will run to the study notes more than they will run to the scriptures themselves. And they will rely more on the Talmud of the commentary than the Torah of the word of God. And they'll start quoting their famous preacher, giving that person more authority than what God said in the word. And that's what was going on back in Jesus' day. And so on the Sabbath, Jesus was intentional to go after that to let them see their need for grace. So at that time, they went through the grain fields because why? The good shepherd was leading them, not to green pastures per se, but to uh, uh, amber grains that wave. He, he was leading them because he knew something about them, and that is that they were hungry. The good shepherd knows his sheep. He knew his boys were hungry. And so it says right there in verse 1, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. So they're hungry. And when they begin plucking heads of grain, this is really what poor folks do. Um, you go through a field, you, you're hungry, and so you start picking grain. And, and a lot of us who didn't grow up in the country, and I'm one of those who didn't grow up in the country, folks who grew up in the country, you, you know, you, you can go out and grab some food and ears of corn and all this stuff, potatoes and tomatoes, just eat them right there in the field. But, but a lot of us didn't grow up like that. But in that culture, there was an, uh, a, a way made in the law for hungry people to go and eat. But what I love about this is that Jesus cares about hungry people. They were hungry. So he led them to a place where they could eat. But he not only cares about hungry people, Jesus cares about sick people. Jesus cares about hungry people, sick people. He also cares about imprisoned people. He also cares about thirsty people. He also cares about naked people. And he also cares about strange people uh, uh, who are strangers to us. And so over in Matthew chapter 25, I believe, Jesus talks about these categories of people and how when we serve these folks, whether they're naked or thirsty, sick, in prison, or they are strangers or foreigners, when we do it unto the least of these, we do it unto who? Him. So, so Jesus is encouraging us through his example here. I know my boys are hungry, but my question is, why is the son of man hungry? Why are his disciples hungry? Well, oh, that could be a whole nother sermon. But let's just understand this, that Jesus was born poor. 
that he might identify with the poor, and he wants the last to be first. So he made it a point to intentionally have no place to lay his head. And he was an itinerant minister out amongst the people, trusting God to provide for him, uh, uh, either through a grain field or even through the people of God, as we see in the book of Luke, when the women provided for a substance. He was living by faith, but he wasn't some rich televangelist preacher. He, he, he wasn't padding his pockets, you know. No. And another reason they, they were hungry is because they were shunned and, and they didn't have access uh, as readily as other folks had. Jesus was poor. His disciples were poor. They were hungry. But God provided for them in a way that, again, is usually left for poor people. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25. Guys up top, do you have Deuteronomy 23, 25? I skipped on you a little bit. If not, I got it right here. There it is. When you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. So again, th th this is in the economy of don't cut all of your field, uh, leave the edges for the poor. And when folk come into your field needing something to eat, let them get something to eat. But don't y'all come in there with a sickle trying to rob everything they got. Uh, just get what you can get and what you need and keep it moving. So Jesus's guys were in line with scripture, but according to the Pharisees, they were wrong. Verse two, and when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. My question is, before I go any further, what are the, uh, the Pharisees doing out there in the grain fields? <laughs> They're not out there because they don't have anything to eat. They were wealthy. Yeah, that, that was peasant food to be able to do it that way. What, what, what were they doing out there? It's as if they were following Jesus and his disciples around looking for a reason to accuse them of something. <laughs> they were looking for a reason. They were spying on them so that they could accuse them and condemn them and try to discredit their work. And I'm just here to let you know you got people watching you. <laughs> and they're trying to discredit your testimony because they're going to see some inconsistencies or at least what they think are inconsistencies in your life, okay? You're going to always have people watching you. And I've even had people say, as they said to Jesus, Jesus, look at your disciples. They're breaking the law. And over the years, I've had people come up to me and say, Pastor Chris, look at the members of your church. You know they raggedy, don't you? <laughs> Pastor Chris, look at the members of your church. They wear shorts to church. Their women sometimes wear pants. Look at your disciples. Pastor Chris, men have on earrings at your church. Pastor Chris, folk got tattoos at your church. Pastor Chris, women preach at your church. Pastor Chris, folk listen to secular music, and some of your musicians even play secular music. Pastor Chris, they dance at your church, and all of them ain't praise dance at your church, Pastor Chris. Pastor Chris, they drink alcohol at your church. Look at your church members. They worshiping at home. They should be in the building. Pastor Chris, look at your church members. They still wear masks. Where's their faith? Pastor Chris, look at your folk. They free to vote for a Democrat and not just a Republican. Oh, look at the rag 
ragtag folk in your church that listen to rap, listen to jazz, and got a nerve every now and then to wear a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. Pastor Chris, look at the members of your church. Y'all yeah, look at them because all the stuff you name just bothers all the stuff I do too. <laughs> look at us. Because if somebody want to find fault, they'll find fault with you. And listen here, this is for free. I'm going to slip this in for free. Just because somebody has a problem with you, that doesn't mean there's a problem. It's their problem with you. Don't let their problem become your problem. Don't let their weak faith hinder your growing faith. And to prove his disciples were blameless and guiltless, because he says that at the, uh, in verses uh, 7 and 8, of Matthew chapter 12, and to prove that his disciples were blameless and guiltless, Jesus appealed to a king, Jesus appealed to the priests, and Jesus appealed to a prophet. So Jesus is going to defend them. He's going to stand up against this accusation uh, hurled at his disciples, because in this season, there are a lot of self-righteous folk who want to hurl condemnation at you. But I just want to remind you, you have someone who will stand for you. So the first thing we're going to look at is this. Jesus appealed to a king. All right, let's go quickly here. Look at verse 3. But he said to them, y'all coming in saying my boys broke the law, but he said to them, have you not read? So now he's messing with them because, again, y'all want to read the Talmud and the Mishnah. I'm going to take you to the Torah. <laughs> Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? Wait a minute. Why is David hungry? Because he's running from Saul. Uh, uh, because a lot of times we say when people are hungry, they should just get a job. Why are you on the street corner begging? Just get a job. Well, you don't know that person's story, number one. And when David is hungry, he's hungry because the job he had, uh, uh, they, they forced him out because the boss was threatened and intimidated by him called Saul. So David is running for his life, can't find anything to eat because his boss is threatened by him. So he's unemployed and hungry. So before you judge somebody, you need to go find out what their story is for why they are where they are being hungry or needing clothes or shelter. My God. Stop being Pharisees, and I'm talking to myself. And so David was hungry, and what did he do when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. See, when you're hungry, you get creative. See, some of us have never really like been straight up hungry, not hungry, hungry. Last night with my family, we were talking about the old days growing up in Baltimore and how there was a family across the street. They packed about 15 of them in a one-bedroom apartment across the street. You thought the good times, James Evans and them was something. The Mack family, boy, Evans had nothing on the Mack family. So it was about 15 of them up in there, and they had to stretch the money. And sometimes uh, the young man who was my age, his name was Eric. We called him Ericy, And he would come out sometimes with bread, eating a wish sandwich. A wish sandwich is when you wish you had some meat up in there. You don't have meat, you just got bread. And on a good week, he put some pork and beans on the bread 
and walk out eating with the pork and bean juice dripping down his hand. And to him, it was a delicacy. But now I just live across the street, you know, so I can't act like I'm all that. But I'm looking at him like, ooh, that's nasty. I'm glad we got some hot dogs with our baked beans in the house. But when you're hungry, you'll eat some bread. David was hungry and he ate some bread. And so David, when he did this, he ate bread that was to be only for the priests. There would be 12 loaves there, one for each tribe. And they would eat the bread, all of the priests. It was called the show bread. But David went in because he was hungry and the priest gave David. And this story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21. He gave David the bread. But that priest ended up paying dearly for giving David the bread because Saul ended up killing him and all of the priests who worked with him because they showed kindness to David. Sometimes your benevolence will cost you. But when you do it for the right reasons and the right spirit, God will take care of that. And so David ate the bread. And if David could break the law and not be condemned by God, surely the disciples could break man's traditions and not be found guilty. So Jesus appeals to number one, let, let's talk about a king. Let's talk about David. David ate the bread. He, he did what was, quote unquote, not lawful. But then Jesus said, I'm going to give you all another one here in verse five. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? So once again, Jesus is uh, uh, really um, using satire with these men who are steeped in the law, or at least they think. They're talking to the one who wrote the law, who gave the law, and they think they know more than him. It's like when you think you know more than your professor or your teacher that's giving you the test. No, you know a little bit. They know everything. And in this case, Jesus is testing them and showing them what the scriptures say. Uh, And so if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, we got to learn how he handled folks. And he stayed with what is written as opposed to what he thought. And so if we're going to be his disciples, we got to know the word because Jesus is going to give us not only the first example in the word, this example in the word, but the third example is coming from the word. So if we're going to be his disciples, like the young folks say, we got to get into the word, not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday, but on a regular basis, reading, studying, consuming the word of God, going from milk to meat. And so Jesus is appealing now to the priests. Why? Because the priests had to work and offer a certain number of sacrifices on the Sabbath. That's what the Bible says in Numbers chapter 28, verses 9 through 10. Uh, You go home and read that. But the priests had to work on the day of rest. I said the priests had to work on the day of rest, offering sacrifices. And so Jesus is saying, you guys have made the Sabbath into something it wasn't supposed to be. Because even the priests work on the Sabbath and they don't profane the day. Why? Because God told them to work this way on the Sabbath. So what y'all think the Sabbath should be is obviously not what God thinks it should be because his preachers work on Saturday and they are still innocent. And let me say it this way. When it comes to working on the Sabbath, Saturday, or even working on Sunday, because for Christians, Sunday became the first day of the week uh, because Jesus got up from the grave on Sunday, the first day of the week. So we've been worshiping on Sunday. 
Now, there are believers who worship on Saturday, whether they are Hebrew believers or Seventh-day Adventists. They're free to worship on that day. We worship on Sunday to commemorate the resurrection of the Lord. But whatever day it is, let us worship God in spirit and in truth, because sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Now, if you worship on Saturday, don't condemn me for worshiping on Sunday. And since I worship on Sunday, I won't condemn you for worshiping on Saturday because you got to do what you got to do and I got to do what I got to do. But a lot of time pastors don't want their parishioners working on Sunday. There's a law that will go out that says, uh, uh, yeah, get a job, but make sure you tell them you can't work on Sunday. Now, ideally, no one wants to work on Sunday, but somebody's got to work on Sunday in order for the economy and the world and life to keep going on. Now, preachers want everybody in the church on Sunday listening to them, so preachers will quietly condemn their members who work on Sunday unless one of their members works on Sunday in the NFL. Then they don't mind when that person works on Sunday. Bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> but guess what? While they don't want you working on Sunday, we work on Sunday. I be sweating up in here like a rotisserie chicken every Sunday. Go home, clothes wet, I'm tired. I work on Sunday, just like the priest worked on Saturday. So again, we want to put laws on people that we don't even keep ourselves. But in this season, you got to do what you got to do. So if you got to work on Saturday or Sundays, do what you got to do. And in this day and age, you can watch the service and worship alone at home, whatever. You're not bound. God is not bound. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He's not bound to a location or a building. If you got to get two jobs, do what you got to do. If you got to worship at home, do what you got to do. If you got to eat a certain diet, do what you got to do. If you got to move back in with your mama, do what you got to do. But folk will judge you. Well, you moving back in with your mama, you don't know the plan because you haven't talked with me. I'm saving money because I got something I'm about to do. And my mama said, come on back home. If you got to go to the community college for two years, well, you're not going to Auburn. You're not going to Ole Miss. You're not going to Alabama. No, I'm going to the one right around the corner over here where the tuition is free for two years. That, that's what I got to do. Don't you let nobody judge you and put you down because that's where you're going. Or if you don't want to go to college and you want to enter into the workforce or go into the military, do what you got to do. They're not living your life for you. You're living your life. If you got to leave your church or your denomination to join another church or get with another denomination, do what you got to do. And if you got to date a person outside of your own race and ethnicity, do what you got to do. Yeah, buddy. And some of us are like, mm -mm, no, I'm staying with my own. <laughs> and a lot of y'all are going to stay by yourself. <laughs> nah, I don't do that. My granddaddy will roll over in his grave. Okay, let him keep rolling. Do what you got to do. <laughs> but finally, let's close this out. Because now he's going to appeal to a prophet. He says, but you have known, but if you had known in verse 7 what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice 
you would not have condemned the guiltless. And so Jesus appeals to a king. He appeals to the priests to say his boy is innocent. And finally, he appeals to a prophet, the prophet Hosea. And in Hosea chapter 6, which is quoted here, the prophet says of God, I desire, God desires mercy and not sacrifice. But what they want to do is keep bringing sacrifices and not being merciful to hungry people and hurting people and people who are sick. But Jesus would heal people on the Sabbath to let them know again that he is Lord even over the Sabbath. That, that, that he can do what he's got to do and what he wants to do because people are more important than legislation. Matter of fact, if you get your people right, your legislation will get right. But you guys are off. You'd rather see a man with a shriveled hand later on in Matthew chapter 12. And Jesus says, uh, I'm out here on the Sabbath day. Is it right to heal him on the Sabbath day? And they're quiet because their theology says you can't do that. You're working to heal somebody on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, let me talk to you hypocrites for a minute. Because if one of your animals fell into a ditch on the Sabbath day, will you get it out? Yes, you will. Uh, so if you can get an animal out, isn't a person worth more than an animal? So, so, and then they sat there quiet. Because that's what happens when you, you know, kind of hit a legalist with truth. They just sit there. They don't know what to do. They, and, then, and then Jesus said, go ahead and stretch out your hand. And that man stretched out his hand and his hand became whole. And when Jesus did that, they got so upset with him. Why? Because they were more into laws and rules and regulations than they cared about people. But if they really read the Bible, they would see that that's what God wants. He desires mercy, mercy from your heart poured out to serve other people more than all of our religious feasts and festivals and concerts and sermons and conferences. God is like, away with me with that stuff if you're not caring for the poor. Away with all that stuff if you're not helping the brokenhearted because God cares about mercy more than he cares about sacrifice. Keep your sheep, your bulls, and all that stuff. Show me that you can show mercy to people. And Jesus says, I'm Lord even over the Sabbath. In other words, you don't tell me what to do. I tell you what to do. The Sabbath wasn't made for man. Uh, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And I'm over all of it anyway. Meaning that he affirmed his deity and equality with God when he said this. Because in their minds, he's overruling God. Who does he think he is? No, he's overruling your interpretation of God, but he's taking his rightful place as being God's son, making him equal with God. And he has every right to say that one greater than the temple is here. He has every right to say one greater than Solomon is here. He has every right to say these things because he is the son of God. So the prohibition against work on the Sabbath was never intended to apply to deeds of necessity, like feeding yourself if you're hungry, or service to God, offering the sacrifices as the priests would do, or deeds of mercy to other human, human beings. Uh, Jesus went to great lengths to prove to the Pharisees that his disciples were blameless. They were right with God. And this is why Jesus appealed to a hungry king named David, to the priests who worked on the Sabbath, and the prophet Hosea who said God desires mercy more than outward religiosity. And again, what Jesus did for them in pleading their case of being blameless and guiltless, he does for us whenever we are accused externally by others or accused internally by ourselves. He stands up to remind us of who we are and whose we are. Well, 
Many years ago, I was in Dallas, Texas, going to a conference of pastors. And uh, there's a nice suit store up there that I like to go to when I got a few dollars. And, uh, and, and they sell suits and ties and shirts, but also shoes. So I went in there and I, I bought a pair of shoes. Uh, preachers like nice shoes. I, I have a nice pair on this morning. Uh, I'll be standing down here if you want to see them. Uh, we like nice shoes, you know. And uh, so I found a nice pair of shoes. I paid for them. I got the box. Went back to my hotel. Started packing up so I can come back home to Nashville. And so I'm packing up my, my bags and everything. And I'm ready to go. But, but the shoe box couldn't fit inside the bag. And so I, I tried to move some things around and move some things. Because I'm not going to leave these shoes, you know. The, these shoes that I just got. They're they going in this bag. But I, I tried to work it and nothing worked. I said, I can't carry them on because I already got my other bag with my computer and my Bible in it. And they stop you if you have too many carry-ons. So what am I going to do with the shoes in this box? I decided. I, I had a revelation. I, 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 the, the, the Lord spoke. He said, boy... Take the shoes out the box and put the shoes in the bag because you care more about those shoes than that box that the shoes are in. And so sometimes when you're walking with Christ and you do things out of the box, other folk don't always understand why you don't. Because for them, you got to stay in the box. There's no coloring outside of the lines as far as they're concerned, but that's how the creatives work. But when you recognize that God is more into shoes than he is into a box, you'll be free. That God is more into you than in rules and regulations, and it doesn't matter what other folks say in this season. He sets you free so that you could live free and walk free and sing free and worship free and eat free and drink free and work free. He cares about you. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Yes, Lord. Well, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for another Lord's Day, another Sunday, another first day of the week to come and assemble and worship you and enjoy you as a family. And you have filled the temple today, not only collectively, but all of us individually and personally. We heard something that we needed to hear today. We gave you something we need to give over to you today. We, we worship you in spite of what we were feeling or what we are going through. We thank you, Lord, that in your presence there is the joy we want and the joy we need. And from your word, there is the wisdom and the enlightenment that we need. We got encouraged today. Now, Lord, let us go out into the world and let our light shine before men and women. Help us to be salt. Help us to have wisdom on how we live for you in this fallen world. Deliver us from ever trying to place laws and rules on other people. And Lord, keep us when other folk want to put rules and laws on us to not accept it. That, Lord, we are free in you and you love us and you paid a great price for us and so, Lord, with the help of the Holy Spirit, may we never, ever succumb to what other people's opinions are, what their thoughts are. Help us to be free because you came to set us free and free indeed. Help us to be responsible with our freedom. 
Some of us, yes, we can drink. Some of us don't need to drink because we know what drinking has done to us in the past. So help us, Lord, to, as the young folks said, start chewing on some meat and not just drinking milk like babies. Thank you, Lord. You spoke today. You came in this house today. And now, Lord, we ask that you dismiss us with your presence. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's according to the power that's working within us. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Can you give Jesus one more hand? Praise for you, go. Isn't he worthy? Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he good? Amen, amen. You are dismissed. Be blessed. Thank you, young people. We love you.